Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We have made it to Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Show is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Guys, kind of a quick week as we've scooted through in a hurry. And now we are, uh, what, a week from today, we will be on the eve of a college football game. And two weeks from today, we will be on the eve of a boatload of college football games. Of the weekend of football games. That's right. That's right. How's your Thursday, Borky? It's Friday, my friend. How Well, how was your Thursday night? <laughs> how's your Friday? Well, I, what? Whatever. Uh, you know th- what I meant. I know what you meant. I was how's just, your I was day? just being a jerk. The day was really good. We've got content for days on the show that I'm excited about. Watched some NFL preseason games last night. All's good, man. Very good. Hey, Dad. Happy Friday. Feeling good. 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 It's going to be one of those days where you use like three words to answer questions, huh? Uh, I call it the Rippy effect. Yeah. Fair enough. How's things going? I, hey, Dad. All right. Hey, Rippy. What's up? You uh, you published a story today. <laughs> I did. You used more words in that story than you will use in the entire program this afternoon. Uh, two thousand maybe. You think you'll speak two thousand words in the next three hours? Uh, possibly. I don't know. I don't really want to count. Okay. Uh, tell me about the story. Uh, it's on, I talked to Sinquez Golson and Anthony Offord about the challenges of playing two sports and the challenges John Rice, Palmy, and Jerry Neely will face. Gotcha. Did you find, uh, anything interesting? Um, no, it was about what I expected, but I think they'll benefit from doing it together because they both said they wish they'd have had someone to do it with. Because yeah, it's not an easy Offord and, uh, and Golson. And Sinquez Golson offered some uh, some interesting advice to the young football baseball players. Um, you got to read the story to catch it at the end, right? Yep. Monster tease. What? So it's a monster tease. What? Yeah, sure. Catch oh, it at the child. end. I didn't know what Borky, you're talking what about. What are we doing? He's it's a monster. Like he's teasing the story. It was a big cliffhanger. That oh, now I really want to go click it to find out what he's talking about. It was a monster tease. I got it now. Sure. <laughs> I don't even know what we're doing here. Uh, C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. You want to jump in and chat? That is a great way to do it this afternoon. Um, we are glad to have you along. You can also uh, tweet the show at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. 
And we've got a bunch to get to. Borky, what did you make of the preseason football last night? Uh, you know, it's early. It's preseason. Ryan Leaf outperformed Peyton Manning in the preseason. But the first five drives now of Kyler Murray plus Cliff Kingsbury have not gone very well. Have, have you seen these stats, the first yes. five drives? Yeah, not it was, good. It was in contrast to the one series that he played in the first preseason game where he was like six of seven passing. Uh, that was not the case last night. Yeah, 10 plays, 33 yards, and a punt. Six plays, 13 yards, and a punt. Three plays, negative six yards, and a punt. Three plays, negative 10 yards, and a punt. Three plays, negative 10 yards, and a safety. Suboptimal. Yeah, and I mean, they're they're so bad up front, though. I, that's the thing with Josh Rosen a year ago. I mean, everybody wrote him off as a bust or whatever. They're still just as bad up front. And you can tell, because it was the ones last night for a quarter and three quarters, if you will. And Oakland Most just of teed off day. on them. Yeah. Uh, it was not a, uh, not a very good pick yesterday for the Pearl River Resort Sportsbook Pick of the Day. Uh, I liked the Falcons at home. The Jets were much better than the Falcons last night. The uh, we'll get to all, all the results from preseason football coming up in uh, in a little bit. Parody. We talk about that all the time as it pertains to the college football world. But Borky, you are arguing that it's never actually existed in college football. Yeah. So there are some numbers out that blow me away because. I am of the opinion that the lack of parity is really going to hurt college football moving forward, but these numbers tell you that we've never had it. With the exception of the occasional outlier every now and then, college football has been the same collection of teams being good forever. No kidding there's been no parity. It's the same unbalanced playing field since essentially the modern sport was founded in terms of how teams recruit and how teams generate money. Of course there's never been parity. How do you do a parity when the playing field is slanted? Really, the only thing that has changed in 150 years is integration, right? I mean, occasionally a team will drop well, up and drop down. Occasionally a team will go up, but for the most part, Rippy's right. It's it's Alabama, it's Michigan, it's Texas, it's Southern Cal, it's Notre Dame. They've always well, been there. I don't think that's the only thing that's changed. I mean, like I don't think. In the 1930s, they were meeting each other in Model Ts and dropping off bags of cash and having recruiting writers bust other schools to continue to have both schools be the runts of the SEC. But generally, yes. Generally. You know, hey, Dad, the, the point that you make is a good one. For some programs, when they go through a down cycle, it's just easier to get back. Yeah. Alabama has a short down cycle, eh, basically a decade, but when they hire the right guy, they're back with a vengeance. Right. Texas cycles itself down, they get the right coach, and now they're back. You think about Oklahoma in the early to mid-90s, so pre-Bob Stoops, Oklahoma was incredibly average. Yeah. The, the and then they get the right that... guy, and bam. The program that's sort of that way right now for me is Florida State. Down right now, but I, I have zero doubt that in, within the next 10 years they'll be right back in it. With Willie Taggart? That I don't know, but the program itself is strong enough that when they bring – if, if Taggart's the right coach, yes. If he's not, they'll find the right coach. Yeah. 
I, to me, the the thing that is consistent in what we just talked about is you've got to have the right head coach in place. Yeah. And we talk all the time about whether or not how much does coaching matter. Well, ultimately, you got to have players, but that's part of having the right coach in place, right? Because it's the ability to recruit, the the ability to get guys there, the ability to hire staff, and then you need to be a good coach on top of all those things. And and the guys that we mentioned are or have been Nick Saban and Bob Stoops and Tom Herman now, and you know, pick what Pete Carroll when he was at Southern Cal. Southern Cal's not been the same post Pete Carroll. I think we've said it on this show before, though. I know Borky has that. There is no sport where you're more coach dependent than college football. And if you've got an elite coach, I mean, it's it's, it's almost as, as good as having an elite quarterback in some instance. I mean, look at Alabama; they didn't have an elite quarterback for a long time, but they still won national titles just because they have the, the best coach in the game. Yeah, this the people that and there's merit to it, but the people that say I'd rather have um, Jimmys and Joes than X's and O's. I understand why, because there's a limit to certain teams, what their ceiling is. But if you bring in a guy that can coach up what you've got, he can get better. He can get better players because he will win with what you've got. I mean, you're seeing it in a way with Willie Taggart in Florida State, even though he was left behind a mess. But some guys have to recruit their way into having a good team. Other guys can take over a team, make them win, and then continue to recruit and build that way. Yeah, and... You want an example of the need to have both? Ole Miss would be your best example, right? From the the transition from Ed Ogeron to Houston Nutt. So Ed Ogeron, at that point in his career, did not have it as a game day coach. But they did a really nice job recruiting. And I know that the roster was a little top-heavy, but there were players on that team when Ed Ogeron left. Houston Nutt knows how to coach. And he took the talent left behind by Ed Ogeron and wins nine games in back-to-back years. But the recruiting fell off. And the team kind of gave up on him a little bit. And then you have a 4-8 and eight season followed by a 2-10 and 10 season, and bam, you're out the door. You, you, you combine the two things, and you've got a chance for sustained success. But you've got to have both sides of it. You just do if you're going to win in today's college football. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, Parody, we'll look at some of the uh, numbers that uh, that back up this uh, argument, this conversation a little bit. When you dive into Mississippi State's opening week opponent, there's some interesting things you find. Now, Mississippi State will be a heavy favorite against Louisiana Lafayette. Game is being played in New Orleans. I don't think there are many Mississippi State fans that are ultimately worried about the outcome. And I don't think you should be. But the roster makeup for Louisiana Lafayette gives you just a little bit of pause when you look at how much experience is coming back for the Ragin' Cajuns. Borky hates the pass interference rule in the NFL. We've got a couple of uh, on-this-days in sports history, plus we have another SEC team coming up in 100 teams in 100 days. Three NFL preseason games tonight. Bills at Panthers. Bears at Giants on the NFL Network. That one kicks at 6.30. And then you got the Dolphins at the Buccaneers. Is that a rivalry game? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't do that with a straight <laughs> face. I tried. 
<laughs> well, it's like a rivalry love triangle. There's a third team in Florida. Yeah. I'm with you. I just was kind of thinking out loud. Oh, the Jaguars also. They're a long way away. The curse of the Fitzmagic. What are you talking about? Dolphins and Bucks. Yeah, he was in Tampa last year and had a great start. Now he's in Miami. He's going to have a great start, and it'll end the same way. How long until Josh Rosen is the starter? Week five. You don't think it'll be week one? This trajectory is predictable. He's going to throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns each of the first three games and then throw five picks the next two, and then Rosen's the starter. There you go. It's almost like we've seen that before. The uh, the Eagles beat the Jaguars last night, 24-10. to Gardner Minshew for Jacksonville had a pretty nice game, 19 of 29, threw for 202 yards. The former Brandon Bulldog turned Northwest Mississippi Community College Ranger toward East, turned East Carolina Pirate, turned Washington State Cougar, now a Jacksonville Jaguar. Again, 19 of 29, did not throw a touchdown, was not picked off, 202 yards through the air. Uh, by the way, no Carson Wentz last night for Philadelphia. Here were the three quarterbacks that Philadelphia played in the game last night. Clayton Thorson, Cody Kessler, and Greg Ward Jr. Philadelphia is a good football team, but if those three guys are the ones that are playing quarterback, it doesn't feel like it's going to go real well. Especially when one of them is a wide receiver. Greg Ward? Yeah. Was that just, Did they run like a wide receiver yeah, pass Yeah, it was there? some kind of trick play last night. Okay. Um. Uh, one thing I noticed last night, Terrell Suggs is a Arizona Cardinal. I totally missed that as far as offseason transactions. I had no clue until they showed that last night. Did you all know that? Not a clue. And I forgot Vontez Perfect, even after watching Hard Knocks, was a Raider, which is just a perfect fit for those two. So the Raiders actually have a decent collection of talent on both sides of the ball now. I don't know if they're going to be any good, but they're a lot more talented than they were a year ago. They're 2-0 in the better. preseason. <laughs> Did you all see the the Ravens have won 15 consecutive preseason games? I know that doesn't mean anything, but that's still just insanity. Have they really? 15 consecutive preseason games the Ravens have won. That's a dynasty if I've ever heard of one. And including on the f- a 26-13 to 13 win over the Packers last night. Sorry, Borky. Oh, and I was going to say on the flip side, the Falcons haven't won a preseason game since 2016. And they are 0-3 in the preseason this year, <laughs> despite the fact that uh, Matt Ryan went 10-14 of for 118 yards last night. Bengals beat the Redskins. Ryan Finley for Cincinnati was 20-26. of A couple of touchdown passes. Threw for 150 yards. Uh, Dwayne Haskins had his first touchdown pass as an NFL quarterback. He went 7-14, of 114 yards. Touchdown, no picks. How do you grade Dwayne Haskins last night? He's just okay. Um, the the touchdown pass is a beautiful deep ball, but it looks like he still is processing things a little slowly, like the game's a little too quick for him right now. Yeah, well, but that'll come. I mean, it's a second game. Uh I guess that's all. Uh, Ravens twenty six thirteen over the uh, Packers, and the Raiders beat the uh, the Cardinals last night thirty three to twenty six. Mike Glennon was the leading passer for Oakland in the ball game. He went 11 of 14 through 175 yards, a couple of touchdown passes. Uh, Derek Carr played very little. He was 2 of 2 for 40 yards and a touchdown pass. 
For Arizona, Kyler Murray was 3 of 8. Not great. They played four quarterbacks in the game. Best numbers belong to Brett Hundley. He was 10 of 15 for 139 yards and a, uh, a touchdown in the game. All right, Borky, you, you mentioned these a second ago. Let's walk through them. Five series for Kyler Murray. In the opening drive of the game, they went 10 plays, covered 33 yards, and punted it away. In his second drive, six plays, 13 yards, and a punt. Drive three, three plays, minus six, and a punt. Drive four, another three and out, minus 10, and a punt. And then a scoring drive in his fifth drive. Three plays, minus 10 yards, and a safety. Yeah, pretty rough, right? And does it does it matter? No, because it's the preseason. But still, I mean, there were a couple of times where he had a good protected pocket and just misfired on some throws. Maybe it was just an off night. But I, there were some smart football people uh, that I follow on social media. I would like to pretend like I know the game pretty well, but I, I think I'm self aware enough to realize that there are people that are much smarter than me. And like Haydad said the other day. Getting their opinion, if it's aligned with yours, kind of validates you. And there were some smart football people last night that were saying, this offense just doesn't work at this level. You, you can see it already in the preseason that what they're trying to do simply will not work. NFL defenses are too athletic and too complex for an offense like that. So it's only two weeks. It's just the preseason. It's the worst offensive line in the game yet again. But if people are saying that, maybe there's some merit to it. Is it fair to grade that offense, though, on two preseason games? No, not at all. If it's really they've got not. a bad offensive line and a rookie quarterback? It's really not at all. But what else are you going to do? It's the it's the only football we've got right now. Hey, Dad, you watch any of it last night? Didn't watch any of it, but what Borky is saying is something. I mean, we'll go back to when Cliff Kingsbury was hired. We all were, we all were astounded. Like, how is this, this guy who, who didn't really win big at the college level? He had two good years as an offensive coordinator when he just happened to have maybe the best college football player of all time on his on his offense. And then as soon as that guy left, it was just downhill. Uh, so why did we think this guy was going to be a successful NFL? Now, yeah, obviously, I could be wrong, but the pedigree is not there. I mean, it, it's not like you're taking a chance on an up-and-comer here, like, oh, well, this guy's only been coaching a few years. He does some innovative things. This is a guy who has a proven resume that he is not a winner. So, you know, the, it's just the Cardinals. Well, his it's offenses were good, though. I mean, he his was hired because the good. NFL is an offensive league, and he is kind of of the same mold, or at least he's been sold as being of the same mold as Sean McVay. He was in the same line at Starbucks with Sean McVay, and they hired him. I was about to say That's that, too. It kind of went with the whole, like, you know, this guy once shared a neighboring urinal with Sean McVay, so let's hire him as being an <laughs> NFL head coach. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened this offseason. Who wrote, was it, was it, what's it, whose press release was it? Was it the Cardinals press release where just out of nowhere, one of the teams that hired one of the McVay disciples literally put Cardinals. in the press release, the oh, by the way, he knows Sean McVay, just out of nowhere, and the press release that announced him as head coach. That's how crazy that got. Yeah. If I ever do another resume, and knows Brian Scott Rippey that's going on there. Please do. It won't get you anywhere. You don't think it'll get him a head coaching job in the NFL? I don't. It might get him kicked out. Um, the new pass interference rule you think still has some issues? Did you watch the, the video I sent you guys? Have you guys seen this yet? We've got it right here. You're going to tweet the video out so everybody can watch yeah, it? Yeah, I'll, I'll tweet it on Sports Talk if you follow us there. Sports Talk Miss. The most... 
It's one of the more egregious calls you'll see. It's an offensive pass interference call. It doesn't make any sense. There's just nothing about the play that should have warranted an offensive pass interference call at all. Nothing at all. Jay Gruden challenged it because you can do that now, and the referees upheld the penalty and still called it offensive pass interference. You should, I think it's Boomer Esiason in the booth. Um, His reaction to the flag at first, and then after they uphold it, I mean, the guy melts down because it doesn't make any sense at all. So here's what you're watching, okay? Deep ball down the right sideline that is underthrown. Wide receiver has gotten separation, and he's two or three yards beyond the defensive back. He realizes it's underthrown, plants his foot, turns, and goes up to try and make the catch. Defensive back never makes a play on the ball, which you don't have to, but he just continues running, trying to catch up with the wide receiver that has burned him, and he undercuts the wide receiver, and the wide receiver is calling for offensive pass interference. Did I do an adequate job describing that, Borky? Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, if you're confused as to why that's a penalty, it's because it's not. And it shouldn't have been defensive pass interference either. It's just a football play. Just a football play. Incomplete pass, move on about your day. Ball was underthrown. Wide receiver stops his route to try and come back to it. Jumps up into the air. Defensive back is running trying to play catch-up. You have a collision. Ball falls incomplete in the same way that if he had caught it, it's an unbelievable catch. It's not offensive pass interference. There's no defensive pass interference. It's just a great play. Last night, should have just been an incomplete pass. What was the explanation for why? Wasn't or enough was evidence to overturn the call on the field. Wasn't enough evidence to call it in the first place. Yes. Kelso in Ocean Springs says the officials said he pushed off earlier in the route. Well, maybe so, but that's not where the flag was thrown, was it? No. Nope. Flag came in for the end of the play, in which case you have a terrible explanation for what was also a, uh, a bad call. Uh, Donald in Oxford, how's the Southern Miss quarterback doing for San Francisco? Mullins was pretty good in their first preseason game. And I think they've got Monday Night Football coming up, so we'll see him on Monday. Back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Barry and Laurel on the C Spire text line. Rippy just used all his words in one segment. If this was Twitter, he would be in the red negative. <laughs> Did I talk a lot in that last one? Uh, it may have been. Uh, that was from the first segment. Oh. When you, when you went on your little NCAA rant. Uh, Lucas and Union, Haydad will like this, I believe. Shout out to the MLS team, Atlanta United, for winning the 2019 Capionis Cup over Club America last night. Not good for them. It was two nights ago. Okay. That's your team, isn't it, Borky? I don't really have an MLS team, but I just I want to go to a game there because that kind of soccer atmosphere doesn't really exist in America. Love the sweet tea flag. Uh, Louie in the 662. I've never stood beside him at a urinal, but uh, Rippy is the best hire that Mississippi Sports Talk has ever made. Oh, thanks for pumping me up, Louie. You think he meant Sports Talk Mississippi? I think he meant head to head. Or was that a different entity altogether? <laughs> well, it, it reads like he's talking about any sports talk in the entire state. Oh, yeah. in the history of sports talk radio yeah. in Mississippi, there's other sports talk. 
Well, some. Write it down. A replay for pass interference penalty is going to cost a team a playoff appearance. And it'll be the Saints, too. Poetic justice. No, it's got to be the Rams. <laughs> There's got to be some justice in this world. The Rams. Uh, Trip Dog asks if there's any word on Nicky Fitz in Tampa. Is he still injured? Yes. Still injured? Still injured. What's the injury he's dealing with? Uh, it's a hamstring issue. Gotcha. It's my favorite How? thing that coaches do is, yeah, he's uh, he's got a hamstring, so he's out. It's like, well, coach, I got two of them. Yeah. Houston Nutt loved that. He's got a knee. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Houston. Uh, How is DK Metcalf is a uh, question that has been asked. How is he? I hope pretty good. Don't Uh, know what kind of day he's had. He's fine. Doing okay. He had one catch in the uh, first uh, preseason game. It was for eight yards. Yeah, they're keeping him healthy up there. Huh? They're keeping him healthy up there. He's not going to have any prolonged... I mean, he's going to start. Barring an injury, knock on wood, he's going to start there. So they're, they're... they're not going to do a whole lot and not going to put them through a whole lot in the preseason because of that. They tried to throw a couple of deep balls to him. He was open on both of them, but the passes were overthrown. Uh, it was in the uh, first one. And uh, Quinn sends us a picture of a birthday cake from when he was a youngster. Says he remembers being so excited about the upcoming season because the Saints had drafted Chuck Muncie. It's a New Orleans Saints cool. helmet cake. For his birthday. His mom said, happy birthday, Quinn. Cute kid, Quinn. You were. Um, on this day, in 1996, the cinematic classic Tin Cup was released in theaters. Made $75 million in the box office. That's a good number, especially in 1996. And had a 70% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. What's your favorite scene from 10 Cup? The driving range at the U.S. Open. Hey, I look like an idiot. What do you think you look like where you're shooting chili peppers up Lee Jansen's? Yep. (laughs) Put a couple of those in the bag. Maybe we can make money on this whole deal. I like the seven iron scene. Which one? Where they make the bet who can hit the seven iron the furthest, and the dude turns around and hits it down the road. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. That was Shooter? The Shooter's from uh, Happy Gilmore. Not Shooter. David Sims. Sims. Nice par, David. Hates kids and old people. And dogs. Not a great guy. Yeah, not a great guy. With the infinity visor, right? Yep. Yeah. That was his his sponsor. Um, You like the Waffle House scene? Wasn't it Waffle House they went to? Oh, yeah. There's a Waffle House in Odessa that looks just like this one. <laughs> oh, man. I like all the cameos in that movie, too. I think you, you get the uh, the golf announcer cameos that, uh, what is this guy doing? So that was on this day in 1996, 23, 23 years ago. Also, on this day in 1977...
Best-selling solo artist in the history of music, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, passed away. They had the vigil at Graceland last night. That happens every year uh, leading up to the anniversary of his death. Elvis Presley, sales estimate, and, and, and these are estimates, they're not exact numbers, sold between 600 million and 1 billion records. Elvis Presley holds the record for most songs charting in the Billboard Top 40 and Top 100. 152 songs from Elvis Presley in the Billboard Top 40 and Top 100. He's credited by Billboard with the the record for the most albums charting in the Billboard Top 200, far ahead of second place Frank Sinatra. 129 of those for Elvis, 82. For old blue eyes. Holds the record for most time spent at number one on the Billboard 200, 67 weeks. What's your favorite Elvis song? Suspicious Minds. Okay. A little less conversation. That's a good one. Ah, you just took mine. Oh, sorry. It's hard not to like American Trilogy also, though. It's hard not to like anything the man did. The man was fantastic. You ever, uh, my, my father in law is, uh, this would be Obi, my father in law, for whom my son is named after. Um, he's not real big on current music. Like, if we're on the boat or in the car or whatever, and there's anything semi current that's playing, he's like, what is that? You get in his truck, it's on either the 50s station, the 60s station, or Elvis radio. That's it. And I think Raising he does right. news sometimes also. No, I'm not talking about my son. I'm talking about oh, my father-in-law. Oh, man. That's all he say. listens to. 50s, 60s, Elvis, and the occasional Fox News. What else do we need Smart to know man. about Elvis? As of 2018... The Recording Industry Association of America credits Elvis Presley with 146.5 million certified album sales. That's third all-time behind the Beatles and Garth Brooks. One of those things is not like the other. Yeah. I like Garth. He's good. I understand that. He's not Elvis. Not the Beatles. His concerts, though. The, the show that he puts on, it's like, how do you run around like that in boots and jeans and a hat and long sleeve shirt for that long at that energy level? There is something about a showman. I've been to, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, just throwing it out there, a band that most people know. One of the worst live shows I've seen. Like, they performed okay, but it looked like they were not enjoying themselves. They looked miserable on stage. So there's something about being a showman when you're performing and not just sitting there and playing your music like a jerk. Um, Elvis holds the record for most gold albums, 117 of them. That's twice as many, more than twice as many, as second place Barbara Streisand's 51. The most platinum albums, 67 of them. The most multi-platinum albums, 27. His total of 197 album certification awards, including one Diamond Award, Far outpaces the Beatles' second best, 122. 
He's got the most gold singles with 54 of them, the most, the fourth most platinum singles with 27. Do you know who he trails in terms of platinum singles? <laughs> Two of the three I understand. The third one I don't understand at all. Rihanna, Taylor Swift, and Chris Brown. Hey, explain that last one to me. Wait, aren't Chris Brown and Rihanna the... Didn't well, not they not have, anymore. Yeah, but... They had a bit of a physical altercation somewhere along the way, right? Yeah. Allegedly? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't even think it's allegedly. I think it actually happened. Okay. Yeah, I think that definitely happened. Well, she had a black eye, didn't she? I don't yeah. know the details. Not a big pop culture, dude. Well, neither am I, but I vaguely remember that one. So anyway, Elvis, anniversary of his death, 1977, is the day the king of rock and roll passed away. You guys ever been to Graceland? I lived in Memphis for two years and didn't go. That's one of my greatest regrets. Is it? Yeah. I want You're to not go. that far from Memphis. I mean, you could still make a road trip. I could still go, yeah. Went to Graceland, too, one time in college, but I don't know if that's the same thing. You know, that's probably my regret. I got buddies that went to Graceland, too, 10, 15, 20 times. Got the lifetime passes. I never went. Probably a mistake. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Do you remember back in April, Jay Ladner, who has coached in the high school arena in the state of Mississippi and has been a college head coach as well, became the head basketball coach at Southern Miss. He was speaking at an event at the uh, Sunkissed Country Club and revealed a little bit of news. This from the Sun-Herald. Patrick McGee reporting that Southern Miss and Ole Miss might play a preseason basketball game this year at the Coast Coliseum on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Here's what he said. I talked with Ole Miss coach Kermit Davis, and he is all for it. It's late, so we've got a lot of details to work out. I'm not in a position to say we are, in fact, going to do it this year, but everybody is on the same page to do it. Ladner also said that the Coast Coliseum's executive director, Matt McDonald, is supportive of the idea, and the two were supposed to meet to talk about it more today. Following the mass shootings earlier this month that claimed 31 lives in El Paso, Texas, and in Dayton, Ohio, the NCAA has cleared some Division I programs to schedule exhibition games that will raise funds for those communities. One example is UTEP, Texas Tech. They're going to play that game in El Paso on October 12th. And that's kind of what they've done in recent years. You have these scrimmages, you know, the super-secret scrimmages that turn out not to be a secret at all where teams are allowed to play against another team in a like a one-day scrimmage practice-type setting before they play their actual exhibitions games. So I don't know if this would qualify as one of those, or it would be a different type exhibition game, but something that could potentially be used as a fundraiser for some cause. Between Ole Miss and Southern Miss in basketball, they're not playing each other this year in the regular season. These teams have played semi-regularly in the past. So that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I wish it was a regular season game, though. Okay. 
that's not something the, that you can do, you know, a couple months out. But that I would have loved to have seen that. Any time you can, not with football. Football is a completely different animal. But basketball and baseball playing neutral site games throughout the state with Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Southern, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Because how, how often can the people in on the coast drive to Oxford, or Starkville for that matter, or Hattiesburg in some cases, but how often can somebody on the coast drive to go see Ole Miss play basketball? They have a handful of Saturday games, but my goodness, I mean, it's a four-hour drive. At least. To, to watch a two-hour basketball game. It just doesn't happen very often. So when you can go to your fans, even if it's an exhibition, that's really cool. Hey, Dad, what was it, two years ago when Mississippi State and Nebraska played in uh, a charity exhibition game? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was uh, Howland's, uh, I guess, year three. They played, uh, yeah, because they had played, they played, uh, or was it they turned year? around and played Nebraska in the NIT at the end of the year, but it wasn't the first time that those two teams had met. Or is that backwards? i, I, I got to remember, had they played Nebraska in the NIT, and did that was that what they started the year off with this year? I don't remember. No, but, no, 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 no. It was the, the year the that way. they played in the NIT. So this past year they were in the NCAA tournament. The year before that was an NIT. It's when they made the NIT run. Okay. When they beat Baylor on the road. Yeah. But before yeah. beating Baylor on the road, they beat Nebraska in Starkville at the hump. Right. Yeah, was and like, they had played Nebraska back in October in one of those four charity. And I don't remember if it was in Lincoln or if it was in Starkville when they played the a, exhibition. I believe it was in Starkville. I think you're right. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Can me look it up. So, anyway, that's yes, cool I do that remember it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 100 teams in 100 days coming up. We're going to go to the SEC East. A little surprised that in the Football Power Index, the team that we're focused on today is at number 15. 15 days until the first full Saturday of the college football season. So we're going to go to the SEC East coming up in just a little bit. i tell you what else we're going to do. We're going to take a look at Louisiana Lafayette's roster. Mississippi State and Lafayette will play in 15 days in the Dome in New Orleans. And we talked a little bit yesterday about what the, the makeup of the crowd may be like. Could be 50-50. Could potentially be more Louisiana Lafayette fans. I, I don't know. We'll wait and see. But... Pretty experienced Raging Cajun team coming back. Is there any reason at all to be concerned if you're a Mississippi State fan? I don't think so. But the experience thing could matter for something. Take a look at that coming up as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books with you on this Friday in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Friday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. If you're a farmer and you're in North Mississippi, then this is who you want to be doing business with. They can help you with equipment loans or buying a piece of property or refinancing an existing loan or your production loans. Uh, maybe you're not a farmer. Maybe you're just building a dream house in the country 
or maybe you have found that piece of recreational property that you are ready to call your own, Mississippi Land Bank can help. MSLandBank.com. That's Mississippi Land Bank. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky on this Friday. We are counting you down to the start of the college football season. 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, Today we go to the SEC East, team number 15 on the countdown, Tennessee Volunteers. My favorite video of all time. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Tennessee has struggled with Vanderbilt. They've lost three in a row to the Commodores. Lost 38-13 last year, 42-24 the year before that, 45-34 back in 2016. So trying to tra- snap a three-game losing skid to the in-state rival Commodores. Tennessee 18-3 and at home against Vanderbilt since 1960. How about that? They've single-handedly uh, kept Derek Mason employed. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a uh, a fair statement. Tennessee went five and seven last year. They went two and six in the East. Lost to West Virginia in the season opener last year, and they beat East Tennessee State and UTEP in consecutive weeks. Lost uh, pretty handily to Florida, forty-seven twenty-one. That was in Knoxville. They lost to Georgia on the road. They beat Auburn. That was a good win for Tennessee, 30-24, to and that was a road win for the Vols. Turned around in 58-21, they lost to Alabama. And he scored three touchdowns against Alabama, but I think you guys have to may have to help me with this. Wasn't that, though, when Jeremy Pruitt had a little bit of a meltdown post-game where he talked about, look, we're going to go find people that want to play, that can play. I don't care if they're starters or not. Is that, is that when that happened after the Alabama game? I think that's right. Following week, had a three-point loss to South Carolina on the road. They beat Charlotte and Kentucky before losing to Missouri and Vanderbilt to finish out year one of the Jeremy Pruitt era at 5-7. and seven. Tennessee's got ten starters coming back on the offensive side, six back on the defensive side. Their top two running backs are back. Ty Chandler had 630 yards rushing last year. Tim Jordan had 522. Jarrett Garantano returns as the starting quarterback after throwing 12 touchdowns with three picks a year ago. But the uh, the embarrassment of riches for Tennessee comes in the receiving court. Marquez Callaway, Josh Palmer, Jawan Jennings, Ty Chandler, Jordan Murphy, Dominic Wood Anderson, Brandon Johnson, Tim Jordan, Austin Pope, all returning for Tennessee. Now, Austin Pope had only one catch, but the rest of those guys were all in double-digit receptions a season ago. How do you guys feel about Tennessee? I'm jumping on the that Tennessee's actually going to be pretty good this year bandwagon that everybody's been jumping on for a decade and it hasn't come to fruition. I think yeah. they might actually... I mean, they're not competing for the East or anything like that, but they're not going to be an easy out by any stretch, I don't believe. 
Start the year three and zero. Georgia State, BYU, and Chattanooga all in Knoxville. You think? Yeah, and Chatt- or for BYU, that will be when they initiate alcohol sales, which is extremely ironic. So they're not going to do it for the first game against Georgia State. What from what I read, they will initiate them for the BYU game. That's when they'll start. All right, week four, Tennessee goes to Florida. That's always a big game. This is a year where it feels like it's a really big game. There are a lot of people talking about Florida competing for the East. I think most people think Florida's competing for second in the East behind Georgia because the difference in those two rosters is so much or is so great. There are a few people that kind of like Missouri, especially because of their schedule. But Tennessee's first road trip is to Gainesville. They've lost seven in a row in the Swamp. They get an open date before traveling to Ath- or excuse me, before hosting Georgia. Back-to-back home games in October against Georgia and Mississippi State. Hey, Dad, we've talked a lot about that. You'll you'll get your fill of Rocky Top on that day. No, no question about it. Third Saturday in October, they are at Alabama. I thought we said Tennessee Alabama were not playing third Saturday. Is it next year? It's next year ne- that they're not. Next year, Alabama's playing Mississippi State on the third Saturday of October. Oh, That's no, right. what are we going to do without the third Saturday in October, Alabama and Tennessee? Oh, my gosh. So Tennessee's road conference games are in Gainesville, Tuscaloosa, Lexington, and Columbia, Missouri. They host Georgia, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. I feel like this is a year where Tennessee is going to have a pretty good run at home. They got a chance to win those first three at home. Probably not beating Georgia. I think the Mississippi State game is going to be a fun one. I think they could beat South Carolina at home. Mm-hmm. Can beat UAB. Beat Vanderbilt at home to uh, close out the uh, the regular season. Finally get their revenge over the Commodores. <laughs> um, and then you look at the road trips. I mean, probably they're not winning in Tuscaloosa. Probably not winning in Columbia, Missouri. No, not winning in Gainesville. Florida suddenly is going to have some depth issues, by the way. Kicked a bunch of guys off the team. What is it, five guys they've kicked off the team now? They, I saw the, the stat today that their recruiting class that just came in, that was ranked ninth in the country, uh, will be without five of those players. They, they will not play a game for Florida. And without those players, that class would have been the worst or second worst uh, in Florida recruiting history. Wow. A lot of attrition going on right now. A lot of disciplinary issues there right now. Are you smiling when you hear that, hey, Dad? I'm not smiling, but it's not surprising either. On what? The recruiting front the or the recruiting discipline front? I mean, the, rec- oh, the discipline. I mean, Mullen, Mullen to me isn't that different than, than a lot of other coaches. I mean, sure. he, he, he definitely takes some, some risks. Um, and he also... He can not get out of his own way with some of his comments about it. He had some poor, poorly timed comments about the uh, about Jalen Jones recently. Of course, he had, when when Simmons and all that happened, he got skewered at SEC media days. But the recruiting thing is just not surprising to me. I mean, he's just he's just not a good recruiter, and he's got two or three guys on his staff that aren't good recruiters. And so, you know, to expect him to recruit well, I mean, the, the guys that they they had the, the guys that they were able to pick up. Were guys that I know, you know, Florida State and Miami didn't pursue very hard, and now you see why. Why is it that he's not a good recruiter? 
Is it, is it an inability think, to connect with families and? I think there's there's his personality is a little abrasive. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but I mean, so much of what recruiting is is your staff. And at the end of the day, Hevesy and Gonzalez are just not good re- recruiters. They never have been. Now Hevesy is a hell of an offensive line coach. You get him on campus, and he'll turn two and three star guys into four and five star players, and they'll be able to move the football. Gonzalez is just a total waste. I don't know what that guy does. He can't his, he can't coach receivers and he can't recruit. So he's good thing he's Mullen's buddy. To always have yeah. a job. Uh famous alums at the University of Tennessee. They got a bunch of famous athletes. A lot of athletes. And, so, and, and not nearly as many that fall into the famous alum category. No, but I, I got I, I got two real two good ones and then one is just for me. Uh Dave Ramsey, uh Paul Feinbaum. And just yeah. for me, we're going to go Kevin Nash. You skipped over Dixie Carter. Did she go to for Designing Women? Uh, she, can take, she can take over for Nash, I guess. Who who did you go with? Paul Feinbaum, Dave, Ra- Dave Ramsey, and, and I went with Kevin Nash. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a little bit different list. I mean, it is an athlete-heavy list. athletes, man. Like, when I popped it up, I was like, wow. Yeah. Tennessee, team number 15 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. They open with Georgia State on August 31st. First SEC game on the road against Florida uh, down in Gainesville on September 21st. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. You can listen to the show there. You can always go back and get it on the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Going on, the parties are all over. The end did just pass on. The jungle drums are beating with the tales from late last night. The story, this story on the uh, baseball front, Major League Baseball. Could the Baltimore Orioles be moving? The Orioles are one of the oldest institutions in professional sports. They've operated as a Major League Baseball franchise off and on since the 19th century. The club's future in Baltimore is in question for the first time since the Orioles returned to the American League in 1954. They currently play their games at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in downtown Baltimore. But the team's lease ends in 2021. By the way. You want to talk about a stadium that has stood the relative test of time? I realize going back to 1992 is not really a test of time. But 30 years for a big league ballpark? I'm pretty good. And it's been several years since I've been to a game at Camden Yards. But it holds up. It was the first of the new style stadiums in Major League Baseball, of which basically all the new stadiums have copied something from it. You know who the architect was, right, Hey Dad? Yep. It was uh, Janet Marie Smith. Name? Yeah, she went from Mississippi State. I can't remember her name. Yeah. yeah. And is the one who's been responsible for the, uh, the redo of Dodger Stadium and a bunch of other really big projects and was uh, on board, I guess, as a consultant for 
New Duty Noble as well. It's kind of a crazy story, though. Um, Peter Angelos, longtime owner of the Orioles, is 90 and is not in great health. And the Angelos family is mulling the future of the franchise, and they're leaning toward a sale of the team. That's according to the Baltimore Post-Examiner. Um, another possibility beyond selling the team is that John Angelos, who is one of Peter's sons, could potentially move the club to Nashville, where he and his wife have a home. If the family finds a buyer, there's no guarantee that the new entity would necessarily keep the team in Baltimore. And part of the point of this is it's attractive. that From, from a sales standpoint, this is going to be attractive because two things. One, you're not stuck with a stadium if you don't want to stay there theoretically, and the other is that baseball teams just don't come up for sale very often. In the last decade, the only sale sales of Major League Baseball franchises are San Diego, Miami, Texas, Houston, and Seattle. So only five have sold in the last decade. Now, not everybody is convinced that this is going to move. I, I have trouble even wrapping my mind around the idea of the Baltimore Orioles not being the Baltimore Orioles. I'm not discrediting this report because obviously it's very true. I just was always of the thinking that if Nashville, because I know it's been thrown around for what, probably the last two to three years, the talks have been more and more serious about them getting a franchise. I always just figured it would be through expansion instead of something moving there. Because that feels like very much an expansion city, young city, younger demographic, you know, growing. Why move one team when you could just add one or add two or whatever? Yeah. But then we had this conversation a while back where I kind of omitted the Cardinals part of it. But it's like it'd be end up being the four corners of what Cardinals, Reds, and Braves, and the Nashville team country. That would be kind of an interesting dynamic. I think it could be a lot of fun. I think it could be cool. Can you get that big of a fan base? Like can you can you generate real fans? Like where are your fan base is coming from that already aren't entrenched with the Reds, the Cardinals, or the Braves? Is it East? Is it North Carolina? Is it East Coast? Maybe, but does that Braves too? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I I find this fascinating. I have lots of questions about this. I mean, it feels to me like that is way more Braves country than it is Cincinnati Reds country. Nashville? Yeah. Maybe some, but like. A lot of Kentucky's red country, and you get into maybe not necessarily Nashville. I was thinking Northern Tennessee. Well, isn't because the city is so filled with transplants, isn't that a great opportunity to? It, I mean, it's not really anybody's country, is it? Because most people, I mean, they call people that grew up in Nashville and still live there unicorns because you don't hear that they're there very often. It's literally what they're called. So because there's so many people from so many different places in that city, can you even really say that, oh, it's Braves country or it's Reds country or any team, really, since it's such a diverse, its population comes from such a diverse range of places? Well, and the pro sports thing has worked in Nashville, and it's worked exceptionally well. First, it was the Titans. And you remember the transition that the Titans had where they played – you know, that first season in Memphis and the games weren't very well attended and people wondered how it was going to be. Well, Nashville has fully adopted the Tennessee Titans and there was a period of winning and winning big 
in the years following their move to Nashville. And so they were able to really build momentum with the Titans as Nashville's team. And then you go the route of the Predators, and that was one where people kind of raised their eyebrows. uh, Hockey in the Deep South? It's worked exceptionally well. Yeah. if I mean, I, I don't think any of you or anybody is questioning whether or not baseball would work, but look no further than hockey. Hockey works in Nashville. If hockey, if hockey works, baseball will work just fine. So you think, Rippy, it would be more likely, though, for there to be an expansion team that opens its doors in Nashville as Nashville's team as opposed to the Baltimore Orioles moving or the Miami Marlins moving to Nashville or whomever. Is there anybody else that would be a candidate for moving a franchise? San Antonio slash Austin? Oh, moving a franchise. No, no, no. I'm talking about of an, of an existing franchise moving to another place. Tampa? Yeah. Slash St. Petersburg? But is Major League Baseball going to give up two Major League teams in the state of Florida? I don't know. It's a good question. It just doesn't say, I mean, they get no local support. Well, because the team's not in Tampa anyway. You've got to drive across a body of water if you live in Tampa to go see the Rays play, and nobody there's investing in a new ballpark. That's why the, uh, what was it, play half their games in uh, one place and play half their games in Tampa. That's why that idea was even floated out there, because they want to put pressure on the local government to build them a new stadium, and they're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, and, and again, going back to the Orioles, I don't think the Orioles need a new ballpark. I mean, it could be that there's some upgrades that need to be done to Camden Yards, but it's a great facility. And I think it's one that 20 years from now, as long as they you know, do some things along the way to continue to keep it current, could still be a viable baseball facility uh, in Baltimore. Uh, a move for a Major League Baseball team requires an RFP-type process that when completed would be subject to a vote of the other in, uh, owners in Major League Baseball where it would need a three-quarters majority to be approved. No club can relocate out of its current local market without an involved process that hasn't even been started at this point. And Major League Baseball moves have been rare over the last 50 years. You've only had three since 1970. The Expos moving to Washington, D.C. in 2005 is the most recent. It's far more common in other sports. Twelve NBA teams and ten NFL teams have moved in the last 50 years, including the Oakland Raiders, who are on their way to Vegas next year. That stadium under uh, under construction. I don't know if that would be a good thing for Major League Baseball or not. It feels like Baltimore... I mean, they've been in. They've been in Baltimore since the the mid fifties. If you were That's to expand, team's terrible right now. But yeah. wouldn't you have to add but four I mean, teams if you're going to expand? Wouldn't that be the number? No, nah, they just do two. They just do think. two. Why would Why would you add four new ones? Even numbers. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that baseball would be as worried about that. So, so you're thinking like add one per division all across the game? Well, that gets it to like what thirty something, like thirty eight teams. Yeah, that'd be eight, I guess. Additional, it wouldn't make much sense. 
Would Nashville be uh, an American League city or a National League city? I guess if the Orioles moved there, they'd be an American League city. Or Tampa Bay. For whatever reason, Nashville feels like more like a National League city. Yeah. I guess primarily because the teams closest to it, the Braves, the Cardinals you mentioned, talking about National League teams. I don't know. We'll see if it goes anywhere. I, I don't know that that goes anywhere at all, but we'll see. Play of the night in Major League Baseball last night belonged to Bryce Harper. We'll let you hear what it sounded like when we come back in a bit and some college baseball news as well. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Little Jimmy Buffett on this Friday afternoon. I guess in a couple of weeks we uh, will transition to some fight songs on Fridays. Is that right, Borky? Yes, sir. As long as we still mix a little Buffett in on Fridays, I'm okay with that. Sports Talk I didn't Mississippi. Last year, I might do that for you this year. What? Keep a little Buffett in the mix? Yeah, I completely took it out, and uh, you, and then we even had a couple listeners complain about the lack of Buffett. So may mix yeah. that in. There you go. I like it. I like it. Uh, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. I, I said we had baseball talk. Let's put that on hold and, and come back to it a little bit. I, I want to get into this. Borky, you, you put the numbers here. Hey, Dad, we know Mississippi State opens with the University of Louisiana, which Louisiana Lafayette's who we're talking about. They love to call themselves the University of Louisiana. Nobody else does. Um. Billy Napier's the head coach there. It's been a pretty decent program under Mark Hudspeth and then kind of dipped off a little bit, but it's come back up and they're they're playing well. I don't think there are really many Mississippi State fans that have a lot of concern ultimately about the outcome of the game. And I think with good reason. But when you start digging into the roster for UL they got a bunch of guys coming back, and it's not just guys coming back. It's productive players coming back. Yeah, a 1,200-yard rusher, a 1,000-yard rusher, a 750-yard rusher, five redshirt seniors on the offensive line, two redshirt seniors at wide receiver, two more redshirt juniors at wide receiver, a redshirt junior tight end, and a redshirt junior quarterback. That's a lot of experience. I was mistaken. It's a, just a junior quarterback, not a redshirt junior, but still. Fair enough. The point still stands, especially yeah. on the offensive line. I mean, holy crap, five redshirt seniors starting on the offensive line. And that's why they should be, you know, one of the favorites in, uh, in, in uh, the Sun Belt this year. Sun Belt. They're going, they're going to be pretty good. Uh, and, I, and they also have the, uh, the benefit of Billy Napier, I think, is a really uh, good head coach when he's not putting his foot in his mouth like he did today. Uh, but as far as a play caller goes, that guy's – Really, really good. If you, if you go back and watch the game against Mississippi State a year ago, their opening couple of drives, they had State off balance a little bit, and then State's talent just took over and won the football game easily. So, I mean, yeah, I think Lafayette or Louisiana, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with in their conference. But as far as you know, beating Mississippi State, uh, I don't think that's that's a, a real issue. When did the two teams last play? Was it la- was last, it last year? year played, was it? played week three. Um. Week two. Oh, yeah, 56 to 10. Mississippi State, no trouble in that ball game. Um, no, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, the, the, the talent level is nowhere close to the same 
It's just not even close. But when there's that much experience and it's not a true road environment, you hope that that talent level difference kind of raises its head fairly early, right? You would think so. Yeah, you want you you want to. Anytime you go on the road, especially and it's an, you're you're the big favorite, you got to get the crowd out of things early. Like we sort of think there'll be a, a pretty close to a half and half kind of crowd. But I mean, they're they're going to be Louisiana fans there, and they're going to be rowdy. And if you, they get a whiff of hope early, you want you know that 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 could be something you know. Well, especially talking about a quarterback who's going to be making. I mean, if it's Keaton, it'll be his what third start or fourth. I guess sorry, third start. Tommy Stevens will be making his first start, and especially you know for an SEC team. So I mean, yeah, there, there, there's some things that maybe you're concerned about, but at the end of the day, as you say, it's just so much more talented that it, it, even a, a they could probably even overcome a slow start. I would think. I'm fascinated by this, though, uh, because uh, even though Mississippi State is great at linebacker, uh, I mean, you could call them elite. They've got an all-SEC linebacker. You've got another one that in Willie Gay that could be by the end of the season. I mean, really good at linebacker. But Mississippi State lost a bunch of dudes up front, and they're either going to have to rely on guys that haven't received much playing time, even though they're veterans to this point, or young guys against an experienced offensive line with with a group of running backs that aren't good for Sunbelt. They're just good running backs. And maybe they can control the line of scrimmage a little bit. I'm, they're not going to, to lose the game, but I, would, you, would you be surprised at all if it's dicey early because of that fact right there? I mean, early, you're talking about like you know, midway through the first quarter, it's, you know, seven to three. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. But you know, as the as the half goes on, I would expect State to be up by, you know, two three touchdowns by by the time they go into the locker room for halftime. The um, the Raging Cajuns have not had much success against the SEC. In 1996, Louisiana Lafayette beat Texas A&M, who was not in the SEC at the time. The Cajuns are one and 67 all-time against current SEC teams. You would think that somewhere along the way they might have slipped up and gotten one more. That 96 team, by the way, had Jake DeLome as its quarterback. How about that? What was it uh, Chris Berman said? Jake, daylight come and they wanted DeLome? God. (laughs) Oh, man. You miss Berman just a little bit? Rumbling, stumbling, bumbling. Just a little. <sighs> the only a little bit? Not not a lot at all? Not a lot of bit, no. Um, all right, so next Saturday, eight days from now, 6 o'clock on ESPN Miami and Florida. The following Thursday night, so two weeks from yesterday, you got Texas State and Texas A&M on the SEC Network at 7.30. And then you get to those Saturday, August 31st games. There are a bunch of early ones. Toledo and Kentucky kicks off at 11 Central. Ole Miss and Memphis, that's 11 Central. Mississippi State, Louisiana, also 11 Central on ESPNU. Uh, then you get into the uh, the middle of the afternoon games. You've got uh, three that are in that 2.30 time slot, South Carolina, North Carolina on ESPN, Georgia State, Tennessee on ESPNU, Duke and Alabama on ABC. 
Portland State and Arkansas will play at three. Then uh, that Oregon Auburn game, that's probably the one that gets the most eyeballs. 6.30 kickoff on ABC. Georgia Southern's at LSU. Missouri is at Wyoming. And then Georgia and Vanderbilt will play on the SEC network. And that's where SEC Nation will be to start the year. If you're Vandy, is that a good spot to catch Georgia? Yeah, probably so. But there's never a good spot to catch Georgia if you're them. You'd just much rather that game be on the road because you're wasting a home game against a team that has better roster talent than you, and they will also have 99% of the fans in the stands. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't this feel like 25,000 Georgia fans in Nashville? Maybe more. Well, the stadium only seats 40,000. And Vanderbilt, I mean, students will go to the first game. There'll be some fans there, right? You would hope so. I just... It's a shame, and I guess I understand why, because going from Franklin to Mason, and and Mason took a couple years to kind of figure out how to be a head coach, but it's not like they've been bad. I mean, he's put on a product that you can at least go to a game and watch. It's not like it's embarrassing on the field. And he gets, I mean, no support at all. It doesn't exist there. I just, I wonder what it's going to take for Vanderbilt to finally get to the point where they're going to invest in a stadium. Well, you saw that in... You saw the news yesterday, right? Yeah. That Vanderbilt's going to sell beer at their games and they're going to use the proceeds to improve the football stadium? I mean, the, the problem with that is they won't have enough people go to buy enough alcohol to make enough profit to upgrade your stadium with. $350,000, come on, on profit on alcohol sales. What's that going to do? I don't know. They need LSU as their permanent East opponent. They have the West. Or West, whatever. Yeah, that probably would uh, probably would help. That stadium needs to be just demolished. That's exactly what it needs. It's a great location. It's a very bad stadium. But, I mean, if there's vinyl siding on the outside of the stadium. I don't know what that means, but the inside of it's tough, too. Because, like, they don't have real, like, a speaker system either. If you notice, it's just gigantic, like, basically just gigantic amp speakers laid on the ground by the thing. Standing by those things while you're on the field down there is brutal. It's loud. Hearing's never been the same. And you saw where they turned down the opportunity to share the new soccer stadium that they built there. Yeah, but I understand that. I mean... Vanderbilt, I mean, that, that stadium right now, it's in the heart of campus. They're in West End. It's a really good spot. It's an awful place, though. Yeah, but, I mean, who wants to take a an SEC football game 25 minutes off of campus? Not that far. How far is South Carolina Stadium off of campus? Like a mile. A and mile. Half. It's just down at the fairgrounds, kind of down the hill away from campus. I'm not saying it's most convenient, but that's that's not a great atmosphere. Not like on I mean, the stadium itself, the game day atmosphere at South Carolina is really good. But around the stadium's not. It's one of the worst in the league. I mean it's not at all like a stadium that sits in the middle of campus where it's kinda of like the epicenter. Yeah. I just I mean, come on, Vandy. There's plenty of money there. Plop two hundred million down, tear down the old place, build a new one, and go for it. I mean, if Vanderbilt built basically what Baylor built, could they get a return on their investment, maybe, is the question. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. 
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. What are you guys doing this weekend? What are you doing this weekend, Borky? Well, my wife is having a baby shower that I have been instructed to stay away from, which is nice. Yes, well, you should. Um, so instead, I'm going to do a bunch of yard work and smoke some beef ribs and have a oh, beer whoa. or two. You're on board with the uh, beef ribs? No, he just said smoke with a lot of enthusiasm. I didn't know where he was going with that. Wait, so you're not like the dudes aren't allowed to be at the baby shower? That's how that works? Yeah, so, it depends. Yeah, some are, but this one, lucky me, uh, I don't have to sit there and, and pretend like I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy about the kid. I wouldn't be happy about be having there, to go to a Borky. baby shower. Oh, my God. Jeez. This goes out. People hear it. It's. A party for your unborn child where they're going to give you a bunch of gifts that you don't have to go out and buy yourself. Yeah, maybe. but here's the thing. I, well, none of them got you beef ribs, did they? No, they didn't. <laughs> um, I, I don't like I don't like receiving gifts. I, it's just it's not. I, I get awkward and uncomfortable. Nobody needs to buy me anything. I'm okay. I can take care of myself. I'm a big boy. Don't buy me anything. Um, and so I, I've been that way my whole well, okay, life. Okay, then. I, but see, I mean, you you know that Anybody about wants me. Wants to buy me something? Send it. What's the station's address? I'll take your gifts. <laughs> um, I, I just, I've never liked that. I've never, like, Christmas is nice, but I, I don't need you to buy me stuff. It, just don't. I, I don't want it. Uh, Do you I'm like okay. giving gifts? Oh, yeah. I, uh, my wife is spoiled rotten. I just don't like receiving them. But anyway, so I'm, I'm happy I don't well, have to go to the baby Part shower. of being a good gift giver is also being a good gift receiver. Because if you do think nice things for people, they want to do nice things for you sometimes also. Yeah, and I'm good at faking like I am happy that I'm receiving <laughs> stuff, I think. You have some I don't know. Before. Maybe not. I don't know if they're issues. It's more just like... No, they are. They are. You can trust me. Like my sister. Uh, my sister's married. They have a nine-month-old. And when she... she bought me something for my birthday i got mad at her because you've got you have your own things you need to spend money on and it's not me don't get me anything you worry about yourself i'm fine thank you for the gesture but take care that's of a, that's like a massive jerk move i don't say that to her but that's what i'm thinking your sister went out of her way to get you something for your birthday because she wanted to get you something for your birthday and you say you got mad at her i didn't tell her i was mad at her i just you know just that did. she you should right be well, she she lives in north carolina i'm good um well, i guess she could listen to the online stream uh supertalk.fm slash listen um Which, <laughs> but no i i don't actually get mad at her i just i don't i know that there are more important things that she could be spending her money on and taking care of herself instead of me i just want the people in my life to take care of themselves it, you don't need to buy me anything Save your money, use it on something valuable. Not me. He does have issues, doesn't he? Hey, Dad. Yes, I, I, yes. Hey, if you if you want to call selflessness an issue, then I've got all kinds of issues. Thank you. Selflessness. I think Borky'd be happier if, like, for his birthday, I sent someone to his door. It was one of those you answer it and you get a groin punch. I think he'd enjoy <laughs> that more than a gift. <laughs> Maybe so. Goodness. Christmas is coming up. Well, Beer before you the know season. it. Bookie yeah. just be pumped it's not a caroler. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody knocks on the door. Are you a caroler? No. Okay, great. Bam! Merry Christmas. It's from Rippy and Haydad. Better than the politician showing back up again. That's true. I'm actually somewhat on this train, That's too. a kick in the groin of another kind.
I don't need like I I don't I don't need like birthday presents or anything like that. Like I'll accept. I'm not like Borky where I'm like, hey, why'd you do that? But it's like, I, I, I don't know. You don't want your parents to buy you a birthday gift. It's not like that. Like I appreciate the gesture, but if they didn't, I would I would be none the wiser. Yeah, you, I you couldn't hold care it against less. them. What? You wouldn't hold it against them. No. No, and I'm, you were real excited that your grandparents were sending you a uh, graduation happy. Oh. <laughs> it's a big accomplishment. I'm a doctor. That's true. I, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but no, you're not. I am. Uh, hey, Dad, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, I think my, my wife and I are taking the kids to Lake Tia Okata for a little outdoor fun. There and you go. Saturday I'm impressed night, you're getting out of the house. I'm going to get out of the house. And then Saturday night, uh, don't forget to follow Sports Talk Mississippi on Twitter uh, because we'll be talking to Joe Moorhead after MSU's second scrimmage. So I will have that uh, up for everybody to see what he has to say. And you don't get to watch the scrimmage, right? Don't get to watch the scrimmage. Fair enough. Fair enough. You got weekend plans, Rippy? Um, well, I did, but they fell through. I was playing in a golf tournament that got canceled. The tournament got canceled or the plans got canceled? Tournament. Therefore, the plans got canceled. One and the same, if you see how that goes. I'm, I'm following. I'm following. Thank you. I didn't know if like your buddies bailed on you and the tournament was still happening and you were just left high and dry. They saw me spraying it on the range. They didn't want any part of it. Chili Peppers and yeah. Lee Jansen and whatnot. Sports Talk Mississippi College Football Fix coming your way when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Friday afternoon, just after 5 o'clock. Welcome to the weekend. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, maybe you're ready to buy a piece of recreational property. Maybe it's going to be a spot where you can hunt or a spot where you can fish, or maybe you can do both, or maybe neither. Maybe it's just a place to get away and have a spot to kind of ride four-wheelers and sit on the porch in a rocking chair and just relax. Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. You can find branch locations scattered all across North Mississippi. Just go to their website, mslandbank.com, and reach out to them. Talk to them about what it is that you need, and they will be more than happy to help. Good to be with you. You can text the show on the C Spire text line. Number is 601-879-4395. Don't miss out on the latest deal from C Spire. You can buy a top smartphone on C Spire's nationwide LTE network and get a second one free. This deal isn't going to be available forever, so you want to act now. Head over to cspire.com to find out more details. C Spire, customer inspired. Boys ready for a little college football fix. Let's do it. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. 42 consecutive years. Ford F-150, the number one selling truck in America, so you don't have to take my word for it. Nobody else has sold more trucks in the last four-plus decades. Plus, you've got the hurry-up-and-save sales event going on right now 
which means big money off the F-150 and lots of other vehicles. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Borky, I love it when you start a segment or, or start your content by, so I've whined and complained about. And in this case, it's the lack of parity in college football. And I, I've said even on my podcast on this show that Clemson and Alabama being as dominant as they are is not good for the future of college football, but there are some numbers uh, that I saw today that kind of uh, go against my line of thinking that this lack of parity is bad for the sport because, as the numbers bear out, we've never really had it before. Okay. So going back decade by decade, taking the decade of the 70s, of the 80s, of the 90s, the 2000s, and then 2009 to current. How many different teams were ranked number one? How many different teams were ranked in the top five? And how many teams, different teams, were ranked, period? Between 1969 and 1978, you had a total of 10 teams that carried the number one ranking. At some point. Talking about in the AP poll. 25 different teams were ranked in the top five. And a total of 77 were ranked. All right, so fast forward. 1979 to 1988. 20 different teams carried the number one ranking. 37 different teams were ranked in the top five. But you had fewer overall that were ranked, as only 70 were in the top 25. And by the way, it was 1989. I was actually in the top 20. In 1989, the AP poll expanded from 20 to 25. So what does that do for the overall numbers? 1989 to 1998, 13 teams at number one, 29 different teams in the top five, 73 teams total were ranked. 99 to 2008, 12 teams ranked number one at some point. 42 in the top five, 84 ranked overall. And then for this last 10-year span, 12 number one teams, 38 different in the top five, 95 total ranked. So in the last 10 years, you've had more different teams that have found themselves in the top 25 at some point, but have kind of held steady with the number of teams at number one overall and kind of middle of the pack for different number of top five teams. Okay, that was a bunch of numbers. Can we name the 12 teams that have been ranked number one in the last 10 years? Sure, we could. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Was that in the AP poll or the college football playoff? Or was I imagine they were the same. Hey, Dad, did State get to number one in the AP? In 2014? In 2014? Yes. AP and they were number one in both polls. Okay. Mississippi State, Southern Cal, LSU, Michigan. Is Michigan at some point number one in the last decade? Michigan. Ooh. Michigan has not been number one in this decade. They had that game with Ohio State where it was one versus two. But Ohio State was number one that day, I yeah. think. And that was way back when? 
that was too. Uh, that yeah, was, was past the decade anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, it was 06. Yeah. Isn't that like, wasn't that guy's name Lloyd Carr? Yeah. With that memory. Yes. Memory of a steel trap. It's awesome. Um, Florida State's been number one during that time period? Yes. Won a national title. Did you say Auburn? I have not said Auburn. So Auburn, that makes it eight. Oregon? Good call. That's nine. Oklahoma would be ten. Texas, Texas has not been no, uh, not in the last decade, have they? No, because they won the no, title in 05. No, no, no. Well, now, now, okay, hold on a second. Was there a point in 2012 or tw- the 2011 season where they got the number one? Who? Texas? Texas. In 2012? Didn't they play Alabama in the national championship game in 2012? No. That was uh, 08. 09. Was it not? 09. 09 season. Okay, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. 2012, Sorry. Alabama beat Notre Dame in the national championship. Has, has Notre Dame gotten a number one? Yeah, they were number one going into that game. Okay, so that's 11, so we're missing one, I think. That's a pretty good group think, though. Yeah. We're pretty smart. I feel like there's an obscure team, though, that might be the last one. Anyway. So, what does that say to you? There really aren't that many teams that can win a national championship. <laughs> that that says statement. that they're never groundbreaking. Been it, it, that's that's the thing that's more surprising right now. I mean, you've got and uh, we haven't done it yet this year, but every year we bring up the blue chip ratio, and the blue chip ratio has never failed. Teams that have fifty percent of their roster or greater blue chip players, four and five star recruits on at least one service. The national champion in college football has always been a team that had over 50%, with no exception. And every year there's 10 to a dozen teams that are in that window. This just tells you that it has always been this way. So this thinking that I have given you on this show, that Alabama and Clemson and their dominance is not good for the sport, the sport's always been this way. And that's what these numbers tell you, is parity has never existed. There's always been a balance of powers that shifts in favor of the haves, and that hasn't changed. Hmm. It's interesting to look at it, though, with the numbers as the uh, as the backdrop. Georgia was the other team that's gotten to number one. That's it. There it is. There you go. Those are your 12 teams between 2009 and 2018 that have been ranked number one in the country. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. The U.S. Amateur is going on right now. They have made it to the quarterfinals. So you are down to eight players from all over the country. Did you know that two of them, two of the final eight, are from the state of Mississippi? All four matches are going on right now at Pinehurst. Austin Squires from Union, Kentucky, it's all match play, is one up on Coentrolio from West Point. Dad, longtime uh, teaching pro at uh, at Old Waverly, VJ Trolio. So Coentrolio is one down through 12. Andy Ogletree from Little Rock, Mississippi. He's right outside of Meridian. I don't. I don't. Okay, he's just listed as Little Rock, Mississippi. I wasn't aware that there was such a thing. 
Don't sleep on junior golf in Mississippi. I guess it's not junior at this point. I guess they're not juniors anymore. But to the point, a lot of good teachers. Andy Ogletree, three up over kid from Georgia. With um, That's through 10 holes, so eight to play. He's in great shape to advance to the semifinals. And then um, a pretty good representation from the South. you got Kentucky, two from Mississippi, one from Georgia, one another from Kentucky, one from Pennsylvania, one from Texas, and one from the land down under, Australia. So good luck to Cohen Trollio. Play hard down the stretch and also Andy Ogletree. That's uh, good stuff at the U.S. Amateur. Uh, U.S. Amateur in uh, Pinehurst. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, here we go. Andy Ogletree is from Union, Mississippi, but his address is Little Rock, Mississippi. Good to know. Thanks for the uh, text on the C Spire text line. Uh, hey, Dad, you earlier were, uh, as Borky was bemoaning receiving gifts, you were lobbying for gifts i'll take right? gifts yeah so we got a, uh, a message would love to send hey dad a gift but i don't like him that much oh rippy i like okay but i'm not really sure what 12 year olds are into these days <laughs> candy sure and got booze. Burned worse there What'd candy and booze the... <laughs> jeez <laughs> Man, I don't bemoan gifts. I, I very much absolutely bemoan gifts. On, the, on this radio show, it happened. Gracious, guys, one at a time. Holy crap! Um, no, I. <laughs> good lord, it's uh, it's a Friday. You're not supposed to be so uptight, everybody. Um, no, but you said you didn't bemoan gifts, and we just all heard that no, with our own ears. We just no, had to preserve he, the integrity of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um. Didn't that go out the uh, kind of go out the window yesterday though? No, I think that was one of our finest moments. Um, we, we made that. I, uh, no, I here's I. I lots don't, of people mentioned that to me last night. Yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm sure they did. Uh, Doctor Harden. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> Stop it! Go ahead, Borky. What were you going to say? No. Uh, <laughs> What I was going to say is when I appreciate them, I appreciate the gesture. I think there are some good people around me that do nice things for me sometimes. All I'm saying is that I get a little uncomfortable because I know that when people do something like that for me, they did not have to, and their money could money could have been better spent on something that they needed versus something that I did not need. And so I get uncomfortable receiving gifts because I didn't need them, and I'd rather them take what care of themselves. What if it's a gift that's actually something that you need? Yeah. Well, that's a little bit different. That's why this baby shower that I'm not going to is going to be awesome because my wife's going to come home with a bunch of stuff that we really, really need and oh, cannot wait. afford. Now the baby shower is awesome. I mean, the level of crawfish on this Friday, I'm just like full on... You've no, been going the to event, training camp, Borky. The you, event you've been doing awesome. backpedaling drills. The event is awesome. It's also awesome that I don't have to attend the event. You get what I mean? Yeah, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. You can uh, be part of the show, 601-879-4395. That's on the C Spire text line. You can also tweet us at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. So we talked about Louisiana Lafayette uh, earlier. Let's do it again, but for a different reason. Uh, Billy Napier... Story comes from the Advocate. 
the Acadiana version of the advocate. Billy Napier is instituting a new team initiative. And it's going to cost his players some money. Starting with the beginning of this school year, all scholarship Ragin' Cajun football players will be encouraged to be a minimal level $50 member of RCAF, the Ragin' Cajun Athletic Foundation. The move will be optional for walk-on members of the team. Napier says it's all about gratitude. He says that's probably a little bit unheard of and a little bit unique, but I think this is a place where that would be appreciated. I think it's part of the type of program that we want to have. We want our players to be educated and understand the benefits that come with being a student athlete, and it's not something that should be taken lightly, the effort and time to invest, uh, and investment that uh, people that support athletes have put into this program. Originally, Napier said that joining the Ragin' Cajun Athletic Foundation was required for scholarship players, but after the press conference, the uh, media relations director uh, said that it was not mandatory. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of crawfishing just a bit. How is it gratitude if it's required? Does that really constitute gratitude if you have no What were you doing? Playing a soccer game on your phone over there? No, I I was paying attention. It's not required. But no, no, they said it was required initially and then backtracked on it. Right. So, one, I don't buy that because they realized how terrible that sounded. But their initial plan and their initial thought when they ran this out was that it was required. So how is it showing gratitude if you don't have a choice? It's now being encouraged. I, I, I get that. I guess I'm calling it for what it is, which is... BS. It has not gotten a lot of positive publicity today as this story has uh, made its way around the country. No. Shocked. Forcing unpaid college athletes to give money to the school? Not a good look. Uh, Billy Napier said, we're trying to create a scenario where five or ten years from now, these are guys who will give back and continue to be part of the program and realize what this place did for them. I think we got that message across this morning, and certainly that was a good thing. So, from a fundraising standpoint, I don't hate the idea. But hear me out on this. You can't make your players. I mean, $50 is a lot of money when you're in college for for a lot of people. For some people it's not, but for a lot of people it is. But I don't even know if it's about the monetary amount as you're just saying, hey, you need to give money to our athletics foundation. Here's Here's where I like the idea. The and I don't have current stats for this. I will just say that the number is microscopic. The number of athletes that graduate and then become donors to the school from which they graduated is minuscule. And I think probably what Lafayette's trying to do is put a program in place where it becomes routine and... If you started doing it while you were in school, when you had nothing, theoretically, as you get older, you get a job, whether it's in professional sports or some other walk of life, you want to continue to give money to the university or to the athletic program. I mean, I think that's what they're trying to pull off here, right? Yeah, there's just better ways to go about it. People got, like, furious 
about this in uh, in fake people world. Yeah, because overreaction land is a beautiful thing. Um, but it's still it's a bad idea. It's it's it kind of stupid. Really dumb, but though. yeah, yeah. The the backlash and the stuff that was said was a little over the top. But I get the point. You want people to still engage with your program after it's gone, and it's slightly different. But I remember like three months less than that after I graduated college, and before I even got this job, which was my first job after college, um, I got letters and emails asking for donations. You guys got to give me a chance to make some money first before I can give it back to you. Um, that's just not the way to go about it. You know, Clemson has a probably the most um, the most successful donation program for former students called IPTE, and originally it stood for I pay ten a year. And the idea was every single person that graduates from Clemson. You join IPTE, it's like a rite of passage, and you agree to pay $10 a year. Um, I think the number maybe has changed over the, uh, I don't I don't know if it's still 10 a year, or if it's now 20 a year, or 30 a year, or whatever. Um, but it's been really, really successful. So, yeah, those stickers in the state of South Carolina are just as common as the palm tree. Really? Oh my gosh, you see it everywhere. They are awfully proud of paying that ten a year. That's, but I mean, that's a good thing. That's what a university is trying to do. It's a great thing. Is, is make people excited about giving back and engaging and, yeah. the people, the not the non-rich people. That that's really why it's so genius. Is you make the people that aren't rich feel important and feel like they're contributing. Yeah, and and make a big deal about it. Why do you think Alabama has so much money? It's not because they have an exorbitant an exorbitant amount of rich donors. It's because they have more bottom-level donors than anybody else. That's where the money comes from. Not the money, but a lot of the money comes from that. Yeah, I mean, it's a volume thing in, an, in addition to a... Really successful football program, but yeah. Well, no, I mean, in addition to the big donations, it's the fact that there are lots of donations, even yep. smaller ones. So... um Do you think this was well-intentioned and just poorly executed? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, we're trying to get our student-athletes involved with our athletic program beyond graduation. That mission statement sounds great, but what a terrible execution of it. And never mind that, like, players becoming boosters, doesn't that open up a whole lot of NCAA wormholes? You know, can I, if I become a booster, can I buy a teammate lunch? Is that an impermissible? I mean, it seems like it's just not thought out at all yeah it, it it does feel like you are potentially opening pandora's box and there could be a lot of unintended consequences so don't anticipate seeing uh any of the 14 schools in the sec roll out a program in which they strongly encourage slash require their scholarship athletes to make donations to the uh the university's athletic foundations doesn't seem likely Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.